Hello, my fellow Ramblers. Today in Ramble with Intent, we've got a lovely interview with the beautiful Selena Ray of Soul Sufficient. I was originally going to clip our pre-ramble that started in the forefront of the interview, but there are components to there that just set the stage for the rest of our interview. And it would be really choppy and weird if I actually put them inside somewhere else. So there's there in the front, and then you get a lovely (laughs) reintroduction. But trust me, this interview is worth sticking around, especially if you're wanting to understand connections, being in resonance with the people around you, your children, your partners, the world, and just how all of those things, that self-connection, self-understanding, and connection with the people who are in your life and your communities, then kind of pull into our empowerment and strength to be able to speak and support and be in resonance with all of that around us as well, which in the end is advocacy. So take a seat or do your dishes while you're listening and enjoy every minute of this because it was a beautiful interview. Let's ramble. Oh, that is so my jam. All of it. There we go. I could talk about that forever. Perfect. We're going (laughs) to have a hard time keeping this distinct, maybe. All right, Um, Joe Rogan, look out. Here's a four-hour podcast on its way. (laughs) So I think the only thing that I would say is that I speak a lot to that in my chapter in The Sovereign. So if... um, I just want to make sure that that kind of conversation is okay. Totally. That you're not. Okay. Yeah, totally. Okay. So my whole, like, some of us are still in the closet. Yeah. Some of us are (laughs) writing books about it and not. I'm not. I was speaking again to counsel against the, you know, passports and all that shit. So um, (laughs) my foundation is well known within my community. And if people follow who I follow, then they're gonna be like, oh, you're that person. However, my approach is very much like it's not divisive. It's not dehumanizing. It's uh, we take the knowledge that we have at that point in time to make the decisions that we make. And it might be that a year from later, we realize that we didn't make the right decision or that, yeah, we're totally firm in what we did. Um, and it, I'm, I'm, I'm a utopian thinker. So <laughs> I'm very like rose colored glasses for a lot of things, just cause I think I'm one of those people that sees the potential of human of, of humanity, but uh, we just haven't yet figured out how to tap into it. So that's where I okay. Am. Yeah, I think we're going to get along just fine. That's that's okay. very much where our, my standpoint is on just Beauty. like making it safe for people to be wrong. Totally, and I think that's the thing, right? Like we've spent we're we're already podcasting, but uh, we've spent so many years of not being allowed to be messy and be wrong and everything has to be just right and perfect. And it's like, now we're fearful of that. And it's like, no, you need to make mistakes to learn and to be able to expand from that. So today's ramble is brought to you by the monetize your mind business community. You deserve to have more money in your life and it's time to trust yourself. And trust me, this is more than just a community. There is a university level business, marketing, self-help, whatever, all encompassing entrepreneurial focused course inside this community. And then there is the, just the gift and expansive knowledge and connection of the community within 
So if you're an entrepreneur, a desiring entrepreneur, you're seeking better growth, you're wanting to be able to build something that is your own, that you can control, I suggest you go and check out Monetize Your Mind. The links are in the show notes. Welcome, Selena Ray. You are a life force in my realm of following on social media and everything. Uh, life coach, author. Uh, you're also a master communicator. Uh, from listening to you speak and tell your stories and how you like to just connect your life into other people's lives and, and how everything is connected and flows. It's, uh, it's been truly mesmerizing watching you and even just like getting to travel a little bit with you with your solo journey that you took this summer. Um, so welcome. Uh, and for those who follow Selena, she is soul sufficient on, uh, on the website soulfishsufficient.com and now I'm tripping are you soul sufficient on Instagram as well yes yes there we go beautiful well welcome thank you for being here thank you so much for having me I am very excited for our conversation we got a little pre-ramble beforehand and yeah I'm really good to I'm really great um happy to sink in here yeah, I'm so happy you're here. Um, so let's start. Just tell us about yourself. Who are you? What um, what brought you to this world of being focused on really connecting and communicating and helping other people do that in their lives? Well, who am I? Oh, I don't think we have enough time. But <laughs> <laughs> the the standard answer, I am a mom. I have three smaller children-ish. I guess they're mid-size. And I started a business a couple of years ago doing body sugaring, which if you don't know what that is, I rip hair out of people's bodies. And then I started to spend a lot of time one-on-one with people really bearing their soul and started to see all of these commonalities between myself and the people that I was holding space for and recognizing that so many of us are comparing our insides to other people's outsides and really feeling lost and alone in that. And so I started another business, Soul Sufficient, where I build connections through resonance, through telling my story, through sharing my experiences very openly and vulnerably and authentically so that other people can find themselves in my story and then hopefully kind of turn around and look at themselves with a little bit more grace and compassion. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of how I ended up where I am. But I think the biggest thing is that I wanted to become what I needed. And so I really thrive on communication and understanding other people because that's what I so deeply and desperately have wanted my whole life is to be seen and understood and known and um, recognizing that the best way for me to have that experience is for me to learn myself and know myself and share myself in a way that people can resonate with. And so I recognize how much people need that themselves. And so I just started showing up the way that I wished I had somebody show up for me, which I think is the motivation for so many people in their life purpose. And yeah, here we are. That's beautiful. And you know what? I, I totally resonate with that. It's, it's, what is it? There's, 
I don't know, I'm sure Pinterest, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere, there's some sort of quote that is like, be the person that your 12 year old self needed. And it's especially for women. And I, I guess I can only speak to being a female. I feel like that is so on point because growing up as an 80s, early 90s kid, it was a lot of just like show <laughs> and mm. and pretending everything's okay and trying to do it all. And it just has carried forward so much. I mean, it's at no fault to our mothers for that, but um, it, it's amazing being able to now see people who are just, yeah, they're doing and leading by example rather than by pretending. And it's beautiful. Yeah. And I actually have a 13-year-old, an 11-year-old, and uh, almost nine. And it is such a confronting experience to be able to show up for my kids the way that I needed to be shown up for. And again, you're right. Like, There's no blame here. We're all doing the best that we can. I tell my kids all of the time that they will be better parents than I am. And if they are, that means that I did a really great job because I am doing better than I had done for me simply because I am committed to growth and expansion and trying to be my best self. And they will pick up on things that they wished I had done better. And hopefully they will live those out loud when they have the opportunity to become parents if they choose to do that. And so just using that awareness that I am going to make mistakes here, which allows me to offer myself some grace and then offer my parents grace for the mistakes that maybe were made. And hopefully give my children some insight and inspiration that, you know, we're all human. We're not meant to do this perfectly. We're on this learning journey together. I often say like, I have never raised a 13 year old girl before. I don't know what I'm doing. I have only been a 13 year old girl and I am just figuring out what I needed when I was 13 as it's being mirrored to me in my own child and trying to figure out how to be the mom and also how to heal whatever is coming up for me at the same time. It's a lot of pressure. It is. It is. I have a 10 year old. So I, we're, we're entering that phase. And there's moments where I'm like, I, this is my first time parenting a 10 year old. So I don't know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's all, it's all learning. So um, on your website, you have your core pillars, like they're there and what your values are. And you touched on almost all of them when you introduced yourself as well. Um, so how did you get to those core pillars? Oh, well, I actually really figured out that when I understand myself and know myself, there takes out, it takes out all of this guesswork about how I show up in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I was really committed to figuring out what drove me and what motivated me and leaning into that because I, did have quite a few experiences as a child and in my early adulthood life where I continually lost myself and I was putting forth this person that I wanted to be loved and accepted and to belong and constantly losing people. And so recognizing that there was this idea that I need to belong to myself in some way. And I have no idea how to do that. But, you know, it's always posted all over Instagram and like you said, all of the Pinterest things. And so (laughs) trying to figure out 
who I am so that when those questions come up of what should I do? What decision should I make? Where should I go from here? I have something solid to land back into. And so I recognized that and I did this exercise um, of figuring out my core values. I was really inspired by lots of people like Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle people like that, that have done a lot of this work and just kind of pulled apart what my value system is. And it came down to my top core values of integrity and connection through resonance. Mm -hmm. So connection through resonance, meaning when you see yourself in me and I see myself in you, we feel connected automatically. And then the compassion that I would offer to you in a situation where you're explaining shame to me or guilt or embarrassment or something that you have done that you don't feel good about, I can offer you compassion because you are somebody that I am connected to. And then in turn, hopefully turn that compassion and grace back onto myself because I can see myself in you. And I see that I deserve the same thing that I'm willing to give. Mm -hmm. And so I determined those two values. And then, you know, I have more secondary values like transparency, authenticity, vulnerability. But then I turned it actually into a program that I teach about self-connection because I figured out that when we are connected to ourselves and um, we are really strong in our foundation, we trust ourselves, we're able to offer ourselves that compassion. We know what our value system is that we can fall back on. We're more able to show up in the world in a way that honors the person that we are, which then in turn, as you know, and you teach, gives people permission to then show up as themselves. Yeah. Right. You know, you look at somebody and you admire them and you think, oh, I wish that I could show up in that way. And the missing piece there is that they have figured out who they are and figured out how to accept and love themselves in a world where that is always going to be a risk from other people. Yeah. Yeah. And then really and truly, it's uh, it's having that inner knowing, but then being unapologetic for it. It might not, because Mm -hmm. it might not align for the people that are around you right now, but it also means that if you are unapologetic for having that really deep connection for what your core values are, then you will start to attract those people who are seeking the same or want to be around the same. But there's always, it's like growth in business. There's that awkward transition period where you have to cast aside what you were doing in order to expand into the next step. And you're always alone for a little moment, but that's where it's in that alone moment too, where you were a hundred percent really integrating and connecting those commitments to your core values and your pillars and your guiding principles on how you're going to operate in your life. And I don't know about you, but as a parent, do you work really hard trying to help your kids find those early on? Yeah, my children are always pushed towards really knowing themselves and loving themselves. I set a mantra when um, I started this journey, probably about eight-ish years ago, that my goal in parenting my children was just to raise children who know and love themselves mm-hmm. and and that they can hold space for who they are yeah. and love themselves so that when they enter this world, that will constantly try to get them to belong mm-hmm. in order to... Um, feel safe, that they can belong to themselves. And I mean, it's this beautiful 
like idea way up here where you're like, yeah, this is what I want. I want children who know and love themselves. And then you're like, oh, this, <laughs> this impracticality is just <laughs> very hard to watch and, and walk through, but yeah. it is also very rewarding. Right. And it mirrors back so much, but my children are fairly aware of little things about themselves. Like they know their love languages. They know how they show up in fight, flight, or freeze. They know how, um, they prefer to like regain their energy, whether they're extroverted or introverted. They, we do a lot of exploration about who they are so that I can love them better. I know that my one child always will need physical affection when she's in that shame spiral. And I know another will always need to just talk it out and yell it out. And so by getting them to figure out what suits them best and what feels best for them and how they need to be loved and received and seen, they are more apt to expect that out of other people and and to recognize that when that isn't happening for them that it's it has nothing to do with them so my nine-year-old came home from school last week and she said my teacher doesn't understand empathy and i asked her what why what happened and she said well i fell and she immediately said well that's your fault you were fooling around and you shouldn't have been and so her understanding is like, this is not how we react to somebody that's hurt themselves. We show up with empathy and she recognized that that wasn't that she did something wrong or that she is bad in some way, but that there is something missing in this other person that they don't understand empathy. And so by recognizing that this is a value of hers, which she does have a very high value of empathy combined with autonomy, which I just on a side note, that's a very hard child to raise. Yes. <laughs> that's very strong, independent autonomy value. Yeah. Um, because of that, right, then she separates herself from the negative self-talk stories and scripts that are going to show up in her head, telling her that there's something wrong with her because yeah. somebody doesn't accept her or love her the way that she is, right? Or they don't understand her. Yeah. That's uh, bravo, because as a parent, to be able to have all your kids be so connected to that at, at really and truly at young ages, that's amazing. Bravo. Kudos to you, because uh, we're still working on that with ours. But um, there's moments where I definitely I know we just kind of hit the tough love stage every so often, too, and then have to rewind to be like, nope. The kid needs soft love, not tough love. So we have to remind ourselves often on that too. And it's it's a learning curve big time, especially if you come in a household where you were raised differently and your parenting styles are different too, right? So it's amazing. Now in the adult concept, how do you work with some of your clients based on helping them get to that reconnection and, and strengthening their communication with themselves and with the people around them? So I think the most important part when you are doing this work is to build a foundation of trust and compassion. Because what happens is when you're facing some really dark truths about yourself, when you are looking at your shadow, what often happens is that we gain, we start to pull up our defenses, right? And sometimes that looks like shutting down. Sometimes that looks like blaming other people. Sometimes that looks like victim mentality, right? Where it's never my fault and I was always the one wronged. Sometimes that shows up in actually more shame and more self-blame and more like 
sinking into the pit of despair. And so being able to look in the mirror honestly and with accountability and owning your story and being able to take responsibility for how you show up and what you're calling into your life takes an insane amount of self-compassion. And so the reason that I teach through telling my story is because I'm very willing to share my shame because I know that that is how it is dispersed is by speaking it out loud. And so like when you're talking about, oh, great job with parenting and I'm still struggling with this, right? My instinct is to say to you, okay, so I grew up in a house that was very um, loud and there was a lot of yelling and that was typically how I was talked to as a kid is just a lot of yelling back and forth between everybody. And when I became a parent, I was a yeller. And to be completely transparent, I still do yell at my children. I just am working on lowering that ratio. But for the first probably four or five years of parenting, I had no tools at all in my bucket. I was constantly in reactive mode. And so there are things that I have learned in the last couple of years that I'm able to implement from my own self-discovery journey, but I am still constantly trying to undo the work that I've done, right? I have one child who is a 100% flight. As soon as I get mad, he's, he's out of the room. He doesn't want to be anywhere near me. He gets scared. And it isn't because that's how I constantly show up now, but it is because that's how I used to show up. Mm. It's just very explosive and really out of touch with my anger. And so by sharing this story, which is a hundred percent true, I am hopefully my intent is to dissipate the shame that comes up in other parents who are looking at me and being like, Oh, I wish that I could have children that knew themselves that well, and that I could show up in such positive and uplifting ways and that I could undo my childhood conditioning and all of that. I mean, this is a work in progress that will take me all of my life. It's why I say that my kids will be better parents than I am because I am very honest about my mistakes and and what I still have, where I still have room to grow and, and hopefully change for the better. Mm-hmm. And so by giving people permission to be wrong, giving them permission to be human and make mistakes and finding out what is under whatever that behavior is that they're feeling shame about or that they're trying to change Mm -hmm. and recognizing that there is this very basic human need under it that can be served in a better way. So when I show up yelling at my children, I can now recognize that what's happening in my body, I'm very in tune with what my sensations are. So typically what will happen for me is that I will feel this tightness in my chest that also feels explosive. So I recognize that sensation. And then I am aware that I am feeling powerless or helpless. That's almost always what happens for me when I start to yell with my kids. It's very different for everybody, but that probably resonates with a few people. So I I feel powerless. And then if I'm able to take a step back before that explosive sensation starts to turn into a reaction, then I can look inward and, and try to understand what what that powerlessness is telling me, which is very often 
that I don't feel good enough as a mom, that I can't make my children listen, that maybe they're embarrassing me, that I am looking to the future where I'm going to be shamed or judged because we're late, whatever it is that's coming up for me, recognizing and that that yelling at my children is actually serving a need that I have to regain my power and my self-control, to regain some some um, power in the dynamic so that I can resolve whatever the issue is, not be late, um, get them to do their chores, whatever it is. And when I recognize that under this yelling behavior is this need to feel heard and this need to feel like a good mom, then I can try over time to try and meet that need in a more healthy way. And so then I sit down by myself and I remind myself of all the good things that I have done, right? The, all the ways that I show up for my children in healthy ways, all the things that my children, sh- the way that my children show up that tell me that they have gained some something good out of having me as a mom. And then that need for powerlessness or that need for power dissipates because it's being served. I do have power in this relationship. I am a good mom. I do have a good connection with my kids. It isn't defined by whether or not we're late. It's more defined by my connection with them. Mm -hmm. But this work has been years and years for me and will continue to be years and years because the, the powerlessness fear is very deep in me. The need to be heard is very, very, it's a deep wound, right? And my children are the ones that are potentially rubbing up against that wound, but they're not the ones that caused it. And so working with people, trying to get them to understand the behavior that's under or the need that's under that behavior allows them to look at themselves with some compassion. So now I am not this screaming mom who has no control and is treating my children badly. I am this woman who feels unheard and who feels like she is not seen and who feels like she is completely helpless in the world. And this was born out of many childhood experiences. And now I meet that woman where she is and I give her grace and I give her compassion and I soothe her however that needs to be done. Mm -hmm. And then I can show up in a different way. So the basis of all of this work is so much in that self-compassion piece. And then the second piece of it is trusting myself that I will always do my best, that I will come back around, that I can be honest with myself. So if I don't catch myself when that explosive feeling in my chest shows up and I react and I'm screaming and yelling, and then inevitably the shame starts for me and I'm sitting on the top of the stairs and I've got my head in my hands and I'm feeling emotional and I'm feeling defeat and I'm feeling guilt then I remind myself that I can trust myself that I can show up, that I can own my mistakes. I can walk into my child's bedroom and can say, this is not about you. That yelling that just happened, that came from a deep wounded place that has nothing to do with you. And I'm sorry that you are the person that received that anger and all of my um, reactions. You did not deserve that. That is not about you. It's not okay. And I'm sorry. And this is what I'm doing. I'm going to go and splash my face with cold water. I'm going to go sit down in my bed. I'm going to cry about this and I'm going to continue to work at doing better. And all I can ask you for is grace that I made a mistake. So this is the work that I am doing, which then leads to my children being able to 
do the same, right? So when my kids make a mistake, they've had apologizing and they've had owning their mistakes modeled to them, right? Mm -hmm. We always think that our kids learn by what we teach them, what we tell them. This is what you should do. This is how we should do. No, they just, they don't learn. They don't hear a single thing we say. They mirror. They watch us. Yeah. They watch us and then they learn. That's how they, that's how they pick up these things. And so when we're trying to be better parents and people come to me like, what do I do with my kid? The answer is always going to be you, you work on you. You look inside when you figure out whatever is jumbled up in there, whatever is unhealed, whatever is dark and, and secret, a, a secret inside you that you can't bear to share. When you work through that, you don't need to work on your children. They will, they will watch that modeling and they will start to be inspired to do the work on themselves on their own. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's so true. And it's, it's so true. Our kids just mirror what they see. It's like healthy living habits versus, you know, binge eating or drinking on the weekends or whatever the case may be. That's what the kids see and that's what they replicate. It might not be right now. Could be 10 mm-hmm. years from now they replicate it, but it does happen. And it's, and I remember my dad for driving, we'd be, he would drive us to school when we were kids and it'd be like, dad, you didn't come to a complete stop. He's like, well, just do what I say, not as I do. And yeah. I'm like, Okay, but that's not going to fly when the police pull us over when we're 16. So maybe you should start correcting your skills as well. But at least we were in a household as kids where I feel like we were encouraged to pinpoint the imbalances. Um, However, I said tough love and it was a lot of like, well, suck it up keep moving on. Life's hard. Life's not not fair. Those types of things. Um, But I have witnessed with like with my daughter where we, at least for myself, we practice the recognizing the behavior, understanding the impact that we put upon the other person and then going and correcting it, apologizing it and saying, you know, just like you, this is what I'm going to be doing about it to try and improve Mm -hmm. that situation. And, uh, and then watching that happen, Maybe not so much in the peer circle of the kids yet, but when in the relationship between the child to the parent, um, it's it's pretty profound those moments when they come back and, and recognize like, oh, I shouldn't have screamed at you. I'm sorry. I'm going to try and breathe a few more times before I react to whatever the situation was. And, and and it's pretty powerful being able to experience that and see it come back. And, and it is definitely a lifelong practice for sure. So it's, uh, it's quite powerful when you get to watch it on the flip side. Mm-hmm. Well, and because my theory is that this ability to be accountable to ourselves and mm-hmm. to own our mistakes is what actually gives us the power to grow and evolve and expand. Yeah. Because if we right, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure who said that, but somebody brilliant. And it's true. And so if we are constantly trying to hide what we've done wrong or our shame about it or making excuses about it mm-hmm. or blaming somebody else. What's happening is that we're just perpetuating a behavior that's not serving us mm-hmm. in order to avoid experiencing the shame of not being perfect and of making mistakes. Right. And so when we're able to look in the mirror and say, okay, I did not show up the best 
in this situation, it gives awareness and it shines a light on what actually really matters to you. So because connection is so important to me, because I know that connecting with my children is one of my core values, then when I show up in a way that is out of my integrity and that and that causes disconnection and i'm honest about that i look in the mirror and i see that in myself then i'm able to step back and say okay how do i actually show up in a way that will serve my authentic self that will serve my integrity that will serve my desire for connection and that will be modeled to my children so that they become self-aware far earlier than i was i was 31 before i had any self-awareness at all. Mm -hmm. I just lived in this bubble of everything is everybody else's fault. And I am always the victim and nobody sees me and nobody loves me and I'm never good enough. And then I, and I just, oh, I so desperately wanted people to acknowledge that my life was harder than everybody else's. I just, I just had this insatiable desire to be the person that everybody felt sorry for. Yeah. And now in hindsight, I recognize that that came from a lifetime of childhood experiences where I was not acknowledged for my pain and for my suffering and for what I went through. And so that pain and suffering grew and grew to the point where it took over. And then when I was 31, my husband at the time left me and my three children and just walked out one day without any warning, without any notice, without any explanation. And I had a four-year-old, a two-year-old and a brand new baby. And all of a sudden, I was the person that everybody felt the most sorry for. I was the person. Then everybody was like, oh, poor Selena. She has the hardest life, right? You know, I always wanted to take the cake and then I got the whole cake. And I realized in that moment that it tasted disgusting Yeah, and I didn't want it. I didn't actually want to have the hardest life. What I wanted was to be seen and to be understood. And that that started with being able to acknowledge myself, recognizing that there are people that hurt me as a child that will never, ever be able to acknowledge what they did to me or how they impacted me. And that that desire to be acknowledged from them was going to make me spend the rest of my life seeking out something that clearly was never going to be fulfilling. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that, okay, this is how I've shown up for so long. And now I don't want to be this way anymore. And so I'm going to have to start taking some responsibility for my life. And I'm going to have to start showing up and taking an active role in my life so that I can have a different outcome was the beginning for me of self-awareness, of recognizing that I was an active participant in my own life and that maybe I wasn't responsible for the horrible things that happened to me, but that I did contribute and perpetuate the pain and the suffering long after those situations ended. And so that self-awareness is being modeled to my own children who are far more self-aware at 12 or at 13, 11 and nine than I certainly was. Yeah. Right. And so the pain that they will not have to experience because they, you know, because I'm willing to look in the mirror and face my own pain Mm -hmm. is 
worth it every time. And if we don't have children to mirror that back to us, there are relationships that we can lean on that mirror for, right? That we can use as a way to um, own our stuff and hopefully model self-compassion and model um, acceptance and a judgment-free space with other people. Yeah. Would you say that 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 experience was the first time where you were actually forced to see yourself rather than just always wanting other people to see you. It was the first time that actually made you really see yourself and who you were. Yeah, it was the, it was so gross. (laughs) It was such a, a dark and dirty feeling to be confronted with who I am and um to recognize myself but absolutely that was that that moment changed the trajectory of my life in the most dramatic way i was going full steam unconscious and unaware and was very happily willing to live in that misery Mm -hmm. because ignorance is bliss totally is yeah And yeah, and then in that moment of facing myself for the very first time, realizing that um, I wasn't always the victim that I had contributed Mm -hmm. to my own life. It was (laughs) when I think back, I just want to love that woman so much because she was just so unaware, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so immature and, you know, just such a a pitiful soul just desperate and you know i think we all whether we're 13 when we face that or we're 31 or 50 yeah we all have that moment where we have to come face to face with ourselves yeah and so many of us are avoiding that because it is very painful and it does feel gross um and we just perpetuate unfortunately the pain because we don't want to look in the mirror yeah. when that is the most like it is the most delicious thing to actually sink your teeth into yeah. once you accept the mission. Yeah. Yeah, you have to accept the mission. I was 39 when I had that moment and it was like holy crap, the lies that I had been creating just to try and survive truly and i wasn't surviving (laughs) i was barely getting by and it's like but then when you when you realize that no this is like the the door to narnia that i need to open holy crap once once you open it up you can't close it again and that is just that i don't know that self-driven greater power permission that shows up in those moments. Yeah, it's ugly and gross, but wow, what an awakening in just like that self-awareness and being able to really just like, no, I really love who I am and I love the mission that I'm on. And I'm so committed to seeing my faults and seeing my errors and seeing where I can be better. And, and I welcome, I now welcome people pointing out when I am not living 
to my true authenticity or to my true capacity, even like, you know, being called out on, well, why aren't you doing the thing that you know to be doing and you know you should be doing? And it's, well, because I'm afraid of what's going to happen afterwards. <laughs> and it's like, just do it. And and now I, I used to hate being called out and being pointed out that I was, you know, not a good friend or whatever the case may be. But it hurt so much because it was so damn true. And now it's like, okay, how do I get better at this then? And it's, Mm -hmm. it's amazing when you have that perspective, what can happen for you. And then you start realizing that you now you're in a position where you can start asking for what you truly want and what you truly need as well. And asking without, um, guilt or feeling uh less than because you're having you're having to ask for help and you're having to advocate for your own needs and and now it's a when you truly know yourself you now ask with courage and and respect for yourself which then if you give respect to yourself you're going to be getting it from outside sources as well mhm I um, am going through this right now myself of I'm in a fairly new relationship mm-hmm. and I am a single mom raised by a single mom. So I've got some fierce independence in me that is absolutely looking to be healed. Otherwise, I certainly would not have called in the partner that I did. And recognizing that there is such beautiful opportunity for relationship in advocating for yourself. Mm -hmm. I am a fierce mama bear. I was, I was on the front lines of the protests fighting for my children's autonomy, fighting for their ability to show up in school and learn in a safe space Mm -hmm. in the last couple of years. I will go to the ends of the earth to advocate for my children. And I will advocate for people that have experienced very similar things to me. If I am in a situation where somebody has been harmed or abused or shunned from society, I will be there advocating. But I recognized in this last six months that advocating for myself and what I need in relationship is difficult for me because I have been somebody that advocates for other people. And I know myself very well. I know what I need. Mm -hmm. Um, But having to come to a place where wanting to be known is far more important to me than wanting to be loved. And so recognizing that if I want to be loved for who I truly am, then I need to be known Mm -hmm. and I need to speak my needs and I need to advocate for what will serve me best in relationship actually allows me to have a really open and beautiful relationship with somebody where then the benefit is that I will very likely be loved for who I actually am. But choosing to be known at the risk of losing love is a very difficult choice, even for somebody who knows themselves as well as I feel like I do. And I mean, there's still plenty for me to learn about myself as I under uncover things. As I'm in this relationship, I'm like, oh, yeah, nope, thought I had that one down. Nope, no, nope, I didn't. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, I thought that one was healed. Nope, next nope. layer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but I know that being in my integrity is 
the only thing that matters to me. It is my highest value. And even though connection is very, very high on my list, at the end of the day, if I am going to be out of my integrity in order to keep a connection, then I will not choose that. I will choose my integrity and staying connected to myself. Mm -hmm. And so when I show up that way in my relationship now, and I speak my needs, and I am not willing to not get what I need, right? And I don't mean like wants and preferences and likes and things like that. I mean, my deep need to be heard and seen and validated for who I am Mm -hmm. in relationship, to be supported, to have a partner that shows up and is willing to have the hard conversations with me. Mm -hmm. That is a deep need that I am not willing to uh, sacrifice or settle for Mm -hmm. otherwise. Because I know who I am and I'm willing to actually say the hard thing and ask for what I need because I know the benefit. I know that when I do that for myself, when I advocate for what I need to myself, Mm -hmm. the connection that I maintain with myself is so strong. It is unbreakable. And it only goes to assume that if I stay in that way with my partner in my relationship, that that connection will deepen and be so strong as well. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you can watch it, you, you see those rare relationships where they are, I mean, they could be 30 years in of marriage, but it's like, they're still dating. And they're still so deeply in love. And it's because they truly understand each other's, um, sorry, each other's needs what their core values are and how that they how they can love each other through both of those and and still maintain their authentic selves through the entire process because nine times out of ten those relationships they also have their own lives outside of that relationship too so they're not codependent on each other they're not reliant on each other but when they come together it's like it's magic it's super powerful and i mean really that's what we all dream of finding but we have to identify what we're actually looking for and be able to express it and say, this is like, this is my boundary and this is what I require. And this is how I receive love. And this is how I give love and, you know, how, and and being able to understand that stuff and also being able to have that conversation as your relationship evolves. And this happens Mm -hmm. with your kids too, because we are changing. We are ever evolving humans. Same within society. What might not have worked well for us 10 years ago, we actually might accept now because we've evolved. Our understanding or knowledge of it might have changed over that time. Um, but being able to have the courage to go to our partner whom we love and say, this doesn't sit well with me. I am asking for this from you at whatever it may be. Um, it's still scary because I mean, really and truly most of us girls have also been raised to be good girls. You don't hurt other people's feelings. You don't, um, don't put your feelings in front of other people's. You always respect the, the authority figure, which traditionally is always the male. So there's still some of that like old programming that we're all kind of working to get through. But, um, if we find a way to just really just clearly and concisely communicate what we are needing, nine times out of 10, our partners are going to be like, Oh, okay. I can give you that. Or we'll work towards oh. finding that. 
For sure. I think that we have romanticized, well, I know that in movies and whatever, we've romanticized (laughs) somebody um, intuitively knowing what we need, never having to speak up and ask for our needs to be met. It's so romantic to have somebody show up, swoop in and give us everything that we always wanted without us ever having to ask for it. Yeah. And we don't recognize that one, the reason that that is such a romantic feeling is because it means that we don't need to be vulnerable. Yeah. And it protects us from having to ask for what we need and be rejected. Yeah. And so wouldn't it be so nice if somebody could come in, swoop in and give us all of our needs, meet them without us ever having to expose ourselves, Mm -hmm. without ever having to risk the vulnerability and have the vulnerability of rejection. But the romantic side of having somebody intuitively know you is that you have shown yourself first and they have accepted you and they have welcomed you and they now know you so well that they know that if you are, you know, struggling with whatever stress at work, that this is the way that you prefer to be loved. And this is what you need in those moments, not because they never had to be told but because you were brave and you were courageous in sharing yourself and showing yourself and they were receptive to that yes. instead yes. and then giving you. And then the the connection that happens when you are willing to say, this is what I need right now. And the other person meets you in that and, re- and, and, and returns what you're asking for. There, there is <laughs> such a beautiful connection that's yeah. made in that in that interchange that we miss because we are waiting for somebody to just guess what we need. Yeah. Yeah. And it turns out that it, it's so much better when we give somebody the manual, the handbook on, this is what I need when I'm feeling like this. And, and thank you for meeting me there. And then this, the second piece that happens in this is that that person feels a different kind of being appreciated in a different way Mm -hmm. because when somebody just gives you what you want without you having to ask for it the need to express appreciation or gratitude is different right you're like oh thanks for thinking of me but when somebody meets your need there is this expression of gratitude of like thank you for seeing me and then that person on the other side feels appreciated and of course is going to want to do that more and more and be inspired to like actually ask because when they know what you need it's so much easier for them to love you well and that is what people want is to love and be loved well at the very beginning of my relationship i asked my boyfriend we were talking about like when he knew that he loved me, when he knew um, that like this is something that he was going to sink into. And he said on the second day, <laughs> and I was like, on the second date, I don't think so. I don't believe in this love at first sight nonsense. And he's like, no, it was we were on a date and I had talked to him about the fact that he was watching my Instagram stories. And so I had seen that he was watching them and he's not really fluent. I don't think in Instagram didn't know that I could tell. And he was like, Oh, okay. And he's like, you don't seem very comfortable with that. And I'm like, I don't like it. I don't want you to watch my Instagram stories. And the reason is that I 
that earlier that day, my son had had an accident on the skating rink and I had to take him to go get stitches. And I said, when I came to you on the date, you didn't ask me about how my day was because you already knew Mm -hmm. because you had watched my stories. I live anybody that doesn't know. I live my whole life out loud in my Instagram stories. I share everything, my highs and lows of the day. And so this new person that I just started to date was watching my stories and learning about me. And I felt like it was kind of like a cheat code and it didn't feel fair that he was getting to know me through this other lens. Yeah, And I didn't want that. And so I said, you know, I, I'd prefer if you didn't watch my stories. And he said, okay, a hundred percent. Like wow. I respect that. Let me know. And he told me later that in that moment, he knew that I would always tell him what I needed. I would always tell him if he had crossed a line or if I needed something different than what he was offering. And that he felt this like relief that he would be able to please me and show up for me and honor me in the ways that I needed because he would, he would know how to do that. And so many of us are, you know, so afraid of speaking up when we're upset. And so later in the day, right. Our partner comes home and we're like, you know, however we're acting, maybe passive aggressive and holding things in. And then they find out later, well, earlier today, you did this thing. Mm -hmm. And we think that we're protecting them by not telling them in the moment that we're upset because we don't want to have conflict or we don't, it's not great timing. But what's happening is then we're building distrust with this person that they don't know if they've harmed us or hurt us in some way. And so they can't one make repair. They can't change their course of action. And then maybe they've spent the entire day doing this thing that if they had known earlier in the morning that they had misstepped, they would have been able to rectify it. And instead at the end of the day, they're feeling shame about how they showed up because they didn't know. And so my partner wants in our relationship for me to tell him when I am upset, when I am upset. And sometimes it's difficult. Like sometimes if the hurt is really big, there needs to be inner internal processing before you can share. And I get that, but really being honest about who you are and what's happening for you so that that person doesn't have to deal with their, because you have to remember they're coming with their own baggage, their own wounds, their own experiences in relationships, right? And it's very likely that a partner like mine may have been in relationship where somebody never told them that they were upset and then felt later that they were blindsided by that, mm-hmm. right? And so by me being able to show up in that way, I am supporting whatever that wound might be in him that allows him to then support the wound in me, which is that I feel like I'm too much. And so asking for what I need and sharing when I'm upset is often rejected or dismissed or diminished. And so then we are able to like work together mm-hmm. and and heal and build connection and actually have our needs met, which then then the romantic side of relationship where somebody knows your needs, right? So like, it's been six months. He's pretty aware that if I say like, "Ah, I'm okay, that I am probably needing to talk and I need to like dive into something and I'm testing the waters to see if it's safe for a conversation right now. Right. But his commitment to show up for hard conversations is 
the same when I sat down with him on the second date and said, like, this is how I feel. And he received it and welcomed it and took the feedback and then changed his course of action going forward. Then I was received in the same way, knowing, okay, I can show up and, and have hard conversations with this person and he's not going to yeah. run or, or start blaming or get defensive or whatever. Yeah. Right. And so we, we do want to have somebody who knows us that well, but we have to be willing to like bear ourselves to them yeah. so that they can see us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we also needed like really give them the gift and vice versa of taking that guesswork out of the relationship. You should not have to be guessing when you're in a committed relationship with someone. This could be friendships, could be intimate relationships, but there should not be any guesswork as to like, am I in trouble right now? Are you mad at me? What's going on? And even if it's a conversation that you need to sit with yourself and think about it, have the courage to say like, look, I don't feel right about it, but I need time to formulate the words to be able to get it out properly without mm-hmm. insulting or hurting or attacking you because it's a, it's a me thing, but it needs to be expressed, but I want to express it the proper way. And man, like what a way to just remove the defenses so that then you can actually have a really healthy conversation when you're ready for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that we're so afraid of conflict because we just have so many examples of when it has broken relationship. Yeah. And for me, like I am a person who can have a conversation in the moment when I, the words come to me, I am very quick at processing emotion and intent and all of those things. And Mm -hmm. my partner absolutely needs more time to process more time to think through things and will often let me express how I feel and all the things and then say, okay, can I get back to you tomorrow? Like, can we continue this conversation later? And for me, my experience in past relationships is that they don't come back to the conversation. And so I never want to allow that space to happen Mm -hmm. because I have learned from past partners that if I express that I am upset, they will shut down and the conversation will never be resolved. And so don't let them go anywhere. And so by trusting this person to show back up after they've taken time to process. So yes, for those people that need time to process, communicate that and take your time and step away and then realize that by not coming back to the conversation or waiting for the other person to bring it up again, you are creating distrust in the relationship that you will show up for them and that you will be able to resolve things. And so come back to it. And then for the people that are more like me that just want to have the conversation immediately, recognizing that you're building trust by allowing this person space Mm -hmm. to process so that they can come to the table with a resolution or with resolution in mind. Yeah. Right. And, and then building this trust within that conflict is not, it's not detrimental to relationship. It, it actually is incredibly important. I asked um, my partner, I don't know, a week ago, we've been in this power struggle phase of our relationship where like all of the stuff is coming up that we don't have in common. So in the very beginning of relationship, 
you are in this symbiosis, right? You're in the honeymoon phase. You notice everything you have in common. Everything feels delicious and good. You just can't wait to spend every moment with them because all your brain is like hyper attuned to everything you have in common because it is looking for attachment. Mm -hmm. And then once that attachment kind of solidifies in that, yes, this person and I have enough in common that I want to continue pursuing this, then what happens is that differentiation stage or the power struggle phase. And then all of a sudden, all of the things you don't have in common start to rise to the surface. And then this is often where people either get stuck in relationship and they just live in this battle back and forth, back and forth constantly, or the relationship inevitably ends because you can't find that common ground again. And so right now, my my partner and I are in this dynamic where all of this stuff all of our belief systems, all of the ways that we show up, right? We've been spending more time together sleeping at each other's houses. So we're noticing how people do things and, you know, it's bringing up stuff and, you know, we're having to talk through a lot of things. There's a lot of conflict that's rising up that we're having to move through. And so it feels kind of heavy at times, but we're, you know, also trying to remember all of the things that we do have in common so that we can bring back. And that's why that honeymoon phase is so important because it it is the basis, the foundation of that attachment. So you can come back to this. But I asked him a week or two ago, like, did you, have you fought a lot in your past relationships? And, Mm -hmm. and he was like, no, never fought in my relationships. There was never conflict. And I was like, isn't that interesting that you are a person who never really had conflict in any of your past relationships? Because either the relationship ended when conflict arose or nobody said anything. Mm -hmm. And I am a person that my relationships were filled to the brim with conflict. It was Mm -hmm. constant. And here both of us are where we're like trying to experience healthy conflict. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and resolution and like moving through things. And we're both very, very committed to that. And so we're moving through it in a beautiful way, which I just am like soaking and relishing in this. But it is interesting that, you know, him and I from these two totally different dynamics have come together and have very, very similar experiences with conflict, even though they showed up differently, Mm -hmm. it was never resolved. And so it makes it very difficult to lean in to hard conversations when you have a belief system that says hard conversations don't lead anywhere. They just lead to demise or breakup. Mm -hmm. And what I have realized and what I try and teach is that if you and whoever you're in a hard conversation with are committed to the relationship, Mm -hmm. not to winning the conflict, not to being right, not even to being seen in that moment, but committed to finding a way through that relationship, what will inevitably happen guaranteed is if you move through a hard conversation, you will feel closer to that person afterwards. You will feel more connected. That bond will strengthen automatically. So now in the beginning of the power struggle phase with my partner and I, you know, something would come up and I'd be like, oh gosh, this is big. I don't know how we're going to make it through this. And now we've gone through so many and we've, and we've moved through them that a conflict arises and it's like, okay, we're, well, we're going to get through it. And maybe not, I'm not sure how, but I don't doubt that we will. I have no doubt that we will figure it out because we have built trust with each other. We have built up this, um, 
obvious evidence that we can work through really hard things Mm -hmm. and that both of us are committed to it. And so having that perspective allows you, and this will serve you in all of your relationships, whether it's your parenting relationship or your, or your, you and your parents, your partner, your friendships. I mean, I've had some really hard conversations Mm -hmm. with my friends that people say to me all of the time that they wish they had friendships that were as strong as mine. And it's because we have hard conversations. We show up for each other. When when one of us does something wrong, we are willing to like own it and show up. And yeah. then we trust each other to move through it. Mm-hmm. And that's literally the only way to build a relationship that feels safe enough to show up, show yourself. Yeah. Is to committing through that. And unfortunately, there's going to be people that just can't meet you in that commitment, of course. But um, those aren't the people that we invest our our energy into. And those aren't the people that we choose to expose or or make ourselves vulnerable to. Yeah. Yeah. And the beauty of that, too, is like when you get good at that in your safe, really trusted environment, you start having the courage to start taking that outside. So um, school board issues or uh, community municipality issues or whatever, because if you're committed to what you're trying to represent and stand for, you might not actually get what you're recommending as the, uh, the end result, but you're now opening up communication. You're now approaching it from a respectful side rather than just like, you know, pitchforks and protest signs for lack of better uh, imagery. Um, But you're, you're now actually collaborating with the people and the decision makers that are outside of your family unit that you can work towards building what would be the best possible outcome with more perspectives from more sides all coming in versus just that one top viewpoint looking down and not and having blinders on and not seeing that there's actually all these other side components that need to be taken into account as well. And when you practice that within your relationship and within your family unit, that ability to communicate just calmly and 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 identifying you know the impact the behavior whatever it is and then making a recommendation to move forward that expands so much further i mean you can start practicing that even within your own workplace if there's things within your workplace that you don't feel comfortable with and it gives you the knowledge that your re- a conflict does not mean closure it just means opportunity to seek a solution instead. Oh, I love that. That's quotable. You should write that one down. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, the piece about showing up in those relationships outside of your inner circle in an authentic and steadfast kind of way Um comes back to that belonging to ourselves and mm-hmm. and being able to risk losing people on the outside at the you know at the benefit of keeping you Dr. Gabor Mate he talks about how your number two the two needs that you are born with is authenticity and belonging yep and so when when belonging is at risk you will always sacrifice authenticity. If you are going to be shunned, if you are going to lose your circle, 
you will choose to hide yourself. Yeah. Right. And it, and it's the same as me saying in relationship, like I am not willing to be loved if I'm not will, if I'm not able to be known, like I don't want to be loved for somebody that I am not. Yeah. Right. And so when you get to a place where you have done this self connection work and you really feel like you belong to yourself and you feel safe in your skin and you've built up these relationships in your inner circle, then you go out and you no longer, you no longer risk authenticity. Mm-hmm. You don't choose to belong over choosing to be who you actually are because you have this relationship to yourself. And it's not until that switch, we will all seek belonging again and again and again. It's why like community groups and things like that are so powerful. Yeah. This and, and they can be terrible with this group think dynamic that has people moving in less than um, beneficial ways, but it also builds up this sense of community of belonging so that you can start showing up more authentically because you feel like you have this place where you belong. But Mm -hmm. the step forward out of that is to belong to yourself and, and know that even if you risk that community that once built you up and made you feel like you mattered and you belonged, even if that community becomes at risk, you'll still choose to show up authentically. You'll still choose yourself because now the risk isn't in not belonging to other people. The risk is in losing yourself and you won't choose that anymore. And then when you show up in the world, whether it's school boards or any kind of advocacy groups or things where you have to stand up against a, a number of people, you will be able to do so from a place of integrity and authenticity. You'll feel empowered by your own self-connection, by the fact that no matter what anybody says about me, I am living into my values and who I am. Mm-hmm. And that is more important than anything else. And then how powerful are you? How much more inspiring are you? How much more are you able to reach people because they look to you and they see that this is somebody that is not willing to sacrifice their own integrity in order to make a point or to belong to a group or to not be shunned. Mm -hmm. They're willing to do what's right. That is somebody that you can trust. Even somebody that is on the opposite side of the fence of something to me, but that is showing up in their integrity is far more trustworthy to me than somebody who is wishy-washy because they're more worried about whether they're going to belong. Yeah. Right. And then I, and then I can hold respect for this person and we can have dialogue where we're not trying to change each other's minds. We're trying to understand each other. Exactly. Yeah. That powerful question helped me understand right? Mm -hmm. To be able to have the courage to say, help me understand your point of view. Like imagine how amazing this world could be if we could just open up to receive better understanding and then respectfully move through with that. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean it's a right versus wrong. It just means like we are all individuals, unique beings that have different needs, different desires, and different ways of living our lives, but it doesn't make it wrong. It just makes us the individual that we were designed to be. Well, and I think that one of the fears is that if we start 
showing up authentically and we risk belonging, yeah. right? And we we risk losing people that we're always going to be this solo island. Mm-hmm. But what happens is that we find the people that resonate with us, yeah. that are aligned with us. And the connection there is authentic and deep. And it may not be the same on all levels. So like out of all of my very, very close best friends, some of us are religious. Some of us are not. Some of us are vaccinated. Some of us are not. Some of us have children. Some of us do not. I resonate with the peace in each of those friends of mine that speaks to me, that sees me and that I can see them and that we understand each other. But because I feel connected to myself and I feel understood in all of these ways, it doesn't matter that we don't agree on religion. No, it doesn't matter that some of us went one direction in the last three years and others went the other direction. Yeah. Because I have authentic connection with you over these other things. It allows me to be seen. I see you. And then you're more willing to accept me as a whole. And I am more willing to accept you as a whole, even with those other pieces that maybe aren't, that don't resonate with me. Yeah. And so we don't, we don't have to always risk belonging. We just have to be willing to risk it. Yeah. It won't always happen. We're not going to lose people by showing up authentically. In fact, we will likely bring in more people that are aligned to us. Yeah. But we have to be willing to lose the people that are not aligned with us. And I mean, that goes back so deep that that for us is so many childhood wounds of like being abandoned or not being chosen or whatever it is that, you know, is going to inform the way that we show up and wanting to be, to belong. But that work of like looking in the mirror and reconnecting to ourselves and building up our ability to be authentic and building up our value system through, you know, self-compassion and exploration, honest, honest exploration is going to get you to that place where you really don't need to choose to between your belonging and your authenticity, you can have both of them. A hundred percent. And the other thing is, if you're not losing them today, because you're being authentic, you'll end up losing them later on if that relationship was not there to be in its authentic space and for you to respect each other with your whole being rather than the expectation of what the other should be. And Mm -hmm. that it's, it's just time because like you said, it's all in resonance. And if something doesn't resonate with you, it will leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we have to, when we get really good at practicing that, then it allows us to be committed to our own evolution, mm-hmm. right? Because so, so many of us have connected over the past three years because yeah. of the circumstances. And I think that there is a very real um, risk that people are going to stay stagnant in this relationship. Yeah. And so they're going to choose to stay, you know, in the mindset that brought us all together. Yeah. Because they're afraid of losing people and of, you know, we don't all all agree about the same things. Mm -hmm. A lot of us agreed. Like I wrote in this book, The Sovereign, with 14 other people. 
Yeah. And I don't agree with everything everybody thinks in this book, believe it or not. <laughs> like I, I am my own person. Yeah. Right. And, and the risk of like losing the connection with my other sovereign authors, if I speak up and stay, say something that doesn't align with the rest of them, it's going to be, it's a continual journey of having to choose authenticity and then finding belonging within myself and then mm-hmm. finding belonging with this new group of people potentially that will help my next evolution, my next um, expansion level. Yeah. Right. And so when you practice it, when you practice standing up and being authentic and speaking your truth or sharing yourself, exposing your vulnerabilities so that you can be seen and known and loved for who you are. I mean, it it doesn't end. I am not the person that I'm going to be in five or 10 or 20 years. I certainly hope not because of my commitment to continually expand and grow. I may outgrow people in my life that I can't imagine living without right now. Yep. That is the potential. And that's terrifying to me, but am I going to choose to not grow so that I keep this, this new group of people that I've, that I've acquired as um, a, a group of friends or following or whatever, so that I can stay belonging with them? Or am I going to continually commit to, my own growth and evolution. And it, it will always be part of the process. There is no, like I've made it. Yeah. I always say like, if you've, if you've finished growing, you're probably dead. Probably. Yeah. So if that's your goal is to finish growing and not have to grow anymore, I have sad truth for you that then, then there's nothing left. Yeah. And it would be quite boring. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) 100% your worm food at that point so Mm -hmm. yeah it's and well and it's I mean evolution has been in place for a reason and we are truly on the youngest scale of that evolutionary timeline and so how arrogant of us to think that we that we aren't evolving and that we aren't going to grow and that we're done and we've made it like we we're here to constantly expand and and learn more and and maybe maybe one day hit that utopian life that have has only been written in stories and that we dream of here and there but we're not there yet so there's still so much room for us to be working on that connection and really connect connecting to ourselves and i think with us as adults the more that we can work and model all of that really and truly that acceptance and that comfort in expanding seeing our dark sides being able to face them being able to improve upon them knowing that they're going to be there but they might not be as strong as we get older then we're helping set up our younger generations just for furthering that expansion piece and being able to identify it sooner hopefully they don't wait till they're 39 and 31 for these moments and that then yeah we can get that one step closer where where we're able to just have those open really deep authentic conversations all the time Mm. Yeah. I like your utopian. I know. It's beautiful, (laughs) isn't it? It is beautiful. (laughs) And I think that it is a way to like work towards 
your um, your own purpose mm-hmm. with an understanding that there is um, there is benefit to society as a whole, the work that you do yeah. on yourself. Oh yeah, right. The, we we aren't just by connecting to ourselves, by living in our authenticity and living in our integrity. We aren't just impacting our own offspring or the people in our direct circle, right? Because when I share my story and when I am vulnerable and honest about my own experiences, my own shame, the things that I have messed up on, the things that I am learning, how I am growing, it automatically gives permission to other people to show up in that way. And maybe it takes a lot more than just one time of being offered that permission. But the more that we are exposing each other to our true selves and who we are and what drives us and what brings us together and what scares us and what keeps us back and what our fears are and how they manifest, the more that we are going to feel connected to each other. Because when you see yourself in me and you feel connected to me, then that builds this bond that then inspires you or inspires me to continue looking and seeking for that kind of authentic relationship. And so it will multiply over and over again, which is how it in the end impacts society in such a beautiful way that will change the way we show up. If we look at the last three years and how many people have woken up to agendas alone mm-hmm. right the, yeah. the underlying agenda behind everything yeah that that momentum is not going to stop no right our minds are just going to expand more and more and more and the more we're talking about it the more people that are going to start critically thinking about what they're hearing and what they're being told mm-hmm. and so it has this dominoes effect and and it's no different with self-connection yeah. the more connected i am to myself the more connected i can be to you yeah. and the more connected you and i are the more likely you're willing to look inside and do the work that you need to do and vice versa absolutely absolutely and the more courage we can gain to have those hard conversations because someone else has done it so i can too Yeah. Yeah. So much of our fear is just that we don't think we can manage, that we can't handle whatever comes, right? And the way that we build that confidence and that trust in ourselves is by bringing evidence to the table. Mm -hmm. We walk through it. So now, like I said, with my relationship, now when a hard conversation comes up, I know that we can get through it. The fear doesn't rise up. I'm not in this place of um, frozen or fight or flight because I don't know what's going to happen. Right. I've built up all of this evidence and then I move forward. And so, so many times we think that we're waiting for that confidence to show up and then, then I will, but it comes from, from building evidence that we can do these hard things. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what we're doing here. Yeah, totally. And I think that's a beautiful place to cap this podcast here and this interview because that's a wonderful summary. And I want to thank you so much for your time and for being on this because that was, I mean, I'm, I'm encouraged in realms of my life just from this last little bit of time with you. So thank you very much. 
Oh, thank you so much for having me and just for offering a space for people to reflect out loud and share Mm -hmm. themselves and be heard and then hopefully connect with people. And for me to be able to connect with you has been really lovely. So thank you. Of course, of course. And so people can find you online at soulsufficient.com and soulsufficient on Instagram. Is there anywhere else that they can find you? Um, yeah, it's soul.sufficient. Thank you. And I am, yeah, my my email, the same, okay. all of it. It's all, if you go to my website or my Instagram, you'll find any of those things. And yeah. that is, I have my self-connection course mm-hmm. information all up there. If anybody's interested and copies of The Sovereign, if that is something that you're interested in. You know what? It, and it's a great read just to be able to get... A, a different perspective, like, and, and hearing, reading other people's perspectives of just really a very tumultuous time in our current days. And, uh, I don't care what side of the fence you're on. It's worth reading because it, it's worth everybody to try to read the other side as well, just so we have a better understanding of both perspectives. So it's, I love that book. It's a great book. And it was a great way to be introduced to a variety of people. Um, and how they experienced 2020 through to uh, its publication, which was in 23, correct? 2022, pardon me. Yeah, a year ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that if we just acknowledge that taking perspective is how we build empathy and empathy is how we build connection, then perhaps people opening that book and seeing there's 15 different stories in there and they are, none of them are the same. None of them have the same experiences, but you will resonate with one minimum and probably more because they are vulnerable and authentic and beautifully written. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a very human piece rather than your uh, mainstream media or, you know, PubMed documents instead. So yeah, the humanity of it is beautiful. Yeah. wonderful well thank you very much and uh, we will connect with you another time sounds great thank you Lisa 